Hi friends, welcome to Superstar PR. I'm Nikki, I own a PR company, and because of this, I meet some really interesting people. And you know what? If they wow me, I bring them to you, and that's how we got here. Don't forget to share this with your friends if you think it's going to change their life, and rate and subscribe. Happy listening! I'm so excited to have. Her name is Dr. Lucy McBride, a practicing internist in Washington, D.C. with two decades of experience, a trusted and recognized voice in patient care. She's also a healthcare educator, a mental health advocate, and the author of the COVID-19 newsletter. It's huge, almost at 20,000, working to increase awareness of the inseparability of mental and physical health, which is what really piqued my interest. And she's passionate about helping people rethink what it means to be healthy by recognizing that it is more than the absence of disease and aiming people with the tools to manage their everyday health. She views primary care doctors as critical. Welcome, Dr. Lucy. Thank you so much for having me, Nikki. It's it's awesome. I mean, I'm a fan of yours and I'm excited for people to understand who you are here in Canada. Do you consider yourself a functional uh, doctor? Such a funny question because... A functional doc, like, of course, I mean, I'm, I, my job is not only to help people with their symptoms, but to help them function in the world and to understand the root causes of their symptoms. So if I wasn't, wasn't a functional doctor, I don't know what I would be. <laughs> Such a good answer, right? But the, but the functional medicine has become a brand. I think functional medicine, I have, I have respect for. I also think the brand functional medicine has been born out of the fact that most doctors don't have time to listen to patients. They don't have time to hear their stories. They simply are dispensing pills and prescriptions and referrals instead of understanding what's actually under the hood. What is going on with this person? I can treat someone's diabetes all day long with prescription medications, and I do. It's also important for me to understand that their diabetes is informed by and exacerbated by, for example, their relationship with food that is wobbly because of the pandemic, the fact that they drink too much wine, the fact that they have a lot of stress and they stress eat. And when you're stressed, your blood sugar goes up. So to go back to your original question, yes, any doctor who is paying attention and listening to patients' stories and appropriately treating their behavioral health their physical health, their mental health, understanding that our stories live in our bodies is by definition practicing functional medicine. Whether you call it that as a brand is up to your marketing people. Oh, I love that you said our stories live in our bodies. That's wow. Wow. I've never heard a doctor say that before. Okay. Yeah. Our stories literally live in our bodies. Our, Our bodies are a map. So I had a patient come in this week, for example, this is, you know, could be anybody, any week who has headaches and migraines that are, you know, informed by hormones and other things like barometric pressure, dehydration, et cetera. And she's on medication for her migraines. Her migraines have gotten a little worse during the pandemic. And it turns out it's because A, she's under more stress. B, she ran out of her medications. And C, because she is under so much stress, caregiving and parenting and working that her jaw is extremely tight. She grinds her teeth at night. And the jaw tension, which is, by the way, the strongest muscle in our body, when our jaw is tense, it can accelerate neck tension and and exacerbate migraines. So my job isn't just to hand her more pills, but to help her understand the mechanics of her jaw and her neck 
that of course are part of the larger picture. And then to help her understand the stress and manage the stress better so that the jaw isn't as tight in the first place. Does that make sense? Yeah. Wow. I mean, this never... is like kind of medicine 101, but it's lost in translation because medicine has become a kind of a cookie cutter exercise, which is unfortunate and not the reason why anybody went into the field of medicine. Oh, it's interesting. It's interesting that you say that. Um, yesterday, I was at a hospital in Toronto just for a routine ultrasound. And the technician who worked on me said, does anybody tell you they don't want to be in hospitals anymore? Because all of us don't want to be here anymore. COVID has exhausted us. Yeah, I mean, burnout traditionally is considered something that happens because we are working too much. I would say burnout is now an occupational hazard of being human, whether you're in medicine, whether you work in a hospital, whether you work in PR, whether you are caring for children, whether you are caring for elderly parents, or you are simply turning on the TV and your social media feeds, if you're not feeling some sort of stress, you're not paying attention and people are burned out. They're exhausted from two years of living in a pandemic. They're wired and tired. Humans are not meant to be in a sustained level of fear and anxiety like we have been. You know, people have been in traumas before, obviously, like we've had, you know, wars and people have had, you know, people have experienced lots of things in their lives, right? It's not like the pandemic is um, is, is is the first time some people, particularly older people, have experienced hard times. It's just that this is a collective trauma that has uniquely affected you know, generations of, of people, and it has emotional, physical, behavioral, and medical ramifications that will last for decades, if not generations. You kind of, you drew on something, you said it's like living through war. And I think it's the longest period I've ever had like a holy shit feeling. Right. And that, that takes a toll, right? I mean, burnout um, is is sort of a colloquial word, right? But it does manifest itself physically. I mean, when we're burned out, when we're exhausted, we tend to gravitate towards, you know, high calorie comfort foods, right? That's normal. Like that's what people do. We tend to have a gravitational pull towards the wine, the beer, like, right? That's what humans do. We try to soothe. People stay up late on their phone trying to make sense of the news and they don't get enough sleep and then they're exhausted and they're irritable and they're cranky and their kids are driving them crazy. And, you know, I'm not saying that everybody is mentally ill. I'm simply saying that we need to pay attention to the fact that we are human. We need to give ourselves permission to feel the myriad emotions that the pandemic has brought on. I think we're all experiencing grief in some way, whether you've lost a loved one during the pandemic, whether you've lost just the sense of normalcy in your life, maybe you lost, you know, the sense of confidence that your school would be open all the time. I mean, we've all experienced loss and those things are medical phenomenon and, and right, those things live in our bodies. Like our head is not a separate entity from our body. Our our head and our body talk to each other. They are friends. They're one. And so we, it's not kind of woo woo or it, to me, it's just basic medical care to think about our, the human experience of living through the pandemic as part of our whole health. Our health is not just about our cholesterol and our weight. Our health is about having agency, having understanding of the, of the inseparability of our mental and our physical health. The recognizing that when I'm stressed, I tend to go towards the sweets. And when I go to those sweets, my blood pressure, my blood sugar, and my sleep are disrupted. 
and then connecting the dots and then having tools and information that's based in fact and evidence to help you manage your everyday health. Our health is the accumulation of of, of the minutes of every day that we're on the planet. Oh, I love that you said that, that health is cumulative. You know, I have two kids in the school system and everybody's been sick and I don't know, lately I've just been trying to exercise every day just for my sanity. Yes. <laughs> I think it might be helping me. I don't know. Of course it is. Exercise is not just to fit in your genes. It is to discharge adrenaline. It is to give you some important hormones in your body called serotonin and dopamine that help give us perspective. You know that feeling when you've exercised and first of all, you feel so smug because you've just like done what you're, you thought you couldn't do, but you also literally feel a calm sort of attentiveness. Exercise is one of the most important tools that we have in our arsenal of tools in our own body to manage focus, attention, stress, anxiety. I'm not saying that exercise is the cure for major depression. I'm not saying that exercise is going to replace the Prozac you may need in conjunction with psychotherapy and behavioral modification. I'm just saying that exercise is pretty much good for everything from depression and diabetes to dementia and ADD. Wow. Um, My nephew is autistic and he started going to the gym and he says, I'm very proud. I'm doing very well. And I think that's awesome for everybody. It's like step one. Yeah. And one of the tragedies um, for kids, like your their nephew, for whom exercise is going to be so important, is that kids lost the contours of their everyday life out of school. They didn't go to the gym class PE, which is so important for their emotional health or development. We have a, 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 in the US, at least, I would imagine it's similar in Canada. We already had an obesity epidemic among kids and adults, and it's gotten worse, not surprisingly, because Obesity to me isn't a diagnosis even. It's really a symptom of dysregulated eating. It's a hormonal phenomenon. It's cultural. It's structural. I mean, some people don't even have access to healthy foods in their neighborhoods. Some people don't have access to gyms. Some people don't have the ability to afford healthy foods, even if they did have access to it in the whole foods near their home. So, you know, obesity is is something that we need to consider as a societal, structural, behavioral issue, you know, first of all, is one of the biggest risk factors for poor outcomes from COVID-19 that is modifiable. You can't change your age, but you can work on your health habits, which is not to say that that if you're not, that you're there's something wrong with you. It's to say that those are things that we do have under our control more than we have under control, like our age or the fact that not everybody wants to get a vaccine or the other things that people get upset about. Absolutely. Um, Let me ask you, what are your thoughts on right now, your wellness? How do you stay well when you're carrying everyone else's wellness? Yeah. So thanks for asking. Um, Yeah, I try to practice what I preach, right? Like I try to, you know, I believe that health is, you know, in part genetic, it is part luck, it is part what you do. So, you know, I can't change the fact that I have a family history of colon cancer or mental health issues, but I can work on the things that I can control. So what do I do? I really try to prioritize sleep. Um, My husband, if he was sitting right here, would laugh at me as I was on Twitter until like midnight last night, like cursing at the phone. So I'm not perfect. I will tell you that. I try to prioritize sleep. I try to prioritize exercise. And even if I can't get to like the gym or a 30 minute class, 
which I really don't do much anymore. I really am a big believer in walking. I try to remember that even 10 minutes of walking briskly is better than none. So I prioritize exercise. I prioritize sleep. I try, I prioritize being out in nature. It's so important to breathe fresh air and to connect with nature. I really prioritize being with my friends and people who support me. I think one of the things I've realized in the pandemic, and I knew this before, but it just COVID kind of laid bare how, how important those trusted relationships are, those people who fill you up. They're there for you in hard times, and then they will cheer you on your best day too. Those friends are gold. And I knew who they were before, and now I know who they are even more. And spending time with those people and filling their tanks and then vice versa is like, is the best. Being with my kids is the best. I have three kids who are, I mean, they are, they are teenagers and young adults and they're just so fun to be around. Um, Not all the time, (laughs) but I love being with them. So to me, it's about exercise, sleeping, making sure I don't miss meals. If I miss a meal, I am cranky and irritable and can't pay attention. I do not skip meals. I try to limit my alcohol intake. I try to limit my caffeine intake. I am not perfect at both of those things. I love a glass of wine after a long day, but I also realize it interferes with my sleep. I try to surround myself with people who have healthy boundaries and are supportive of me. And we have a two-way street in our relationships. Um, I've done therapy intermittently throughout my life. I will check in with my therapist if I need to. Like um, I've done enough therapy that I kind of know what I need to know, but I always am learning things too. Um, and then doing things that are that are joyful and fun and just for the sake of joy and fun, like not being productive all the time. I'm, you know, I went to Harvard Medical School. I trained at Johns Hopkins Hospital. I've done a lot of studying and a lot of rule following and shoulds. And I still believe that you should do things you must do things for your health that are joyful for the sake of fun, watching fun TV, laughing, hanging out with my dog, talking to my husband. My husband's the best. He's hilarious. And humor to me is one of the ingredients for a long life. Oh, I love it. So then like um, my husband thinks I, I have these ridiculous moments where I'm just watching comedians for no reason. And I'm having yeah. like a belly laugh in the corner. And he's like, yeah. I don't understand you. I'm like, come, they're funny. If you join me you'll understand like it's for me this sometimes you can't meditate but you can laugh oh my god humor is so important and um i'm the same way like i send my husband we send each other back and forth like little humorous things on instagram all the time you know now let me ask you um on managing covid rsv influenza and whatever else is out there right now what do you tell people to do with their kids so it's interesting. I just did an Instagram Q&A about this last night, and I, I've been doing an Instagram Q&A every single week about COVID, flu, RSV, and the cornucopia of viruses. I mean, here's the thing. Know that, in general, kids, when infected with coronavirus, the new coronavirus, you know, the novel coronavirus, when infected with influenza and when infected with RSV, tend to do beautifully. That's good. They do. The vast majority of kids do well. That said, RSV in particular, can be very dangerous to the littlest kids, like the preemies and the babies, the newborns. And flu can be quite dangerous to kids too. I mean, COVID can be as well. It's just that we now have a COVID vaccine. And so for high-risk children who absolutely need to be vaccinated, that takes the claws and the fangs away from the coronavirus, just like the, the flu vaccine takes the claws and the fangs away from the influenza virus. We should be seeing an RSV vaccine hopefully in 2023, maybe 2024. But for now, I'm reminding 
my, you know, I see adults, I see teenagers and adults, but I'm a mother and I see, and I, people ask me these things all the time. It's important to, you know, get your vaccines, trust the vaccines. The vaccines work beautifully because the COVID shot, for example, and the flu shot work to take the claws and the fangs away from these virus, turning them into a more manageable disease. And then also recognize the harms of not living your life. If I had a newborn right now in RSV season and I, and I wasn't breastfeeding and I wasn't able to give my child the antibodies that I may have accumulated against RSV, I would be nervous myself. I would. So I'm not saying throw caution to the wind. And I'm just saying we need to keep all these things in perspective because risks are everywhere. With newborns, I mean, there's risk of, I mean, there's lots of other risks too. And yeah. so so I guess my, my point is know that the kids have been have gotten viruses since the beginning of time no one wants your kid to be sick i remember those days when my kids were sick all the time it was so difficult um but also know that one of the reasons we have a bevy of viruses right now is because we were so isolated from each other for so long so there's something um that happens where we don't accumulate what's called population immunity we don't have the collective immunity that we normally would now because we haven't seen RSV and flu circulating for so long, right? So we didn't have a big flu season in 2020. We didn't have a big RSV season in 2020, which was good. And no. it meant that we didn't accumulate collective communal immunity against these viruses so that now they're circulating and having a heyday. It is not to say that COVID itself is one by one degrading the immune system of every child and adolescent and parent. It just means that we're paying back the, the debt, which is for some reason a bizarre, controversial topic when it's just basic immunology. I know, oddly, I get it, but I don't know how to explain it. I get it though. I get what you're saying. But um, some people say that, 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 that some people argue weirdly if you talk about it like this, which is which is purely immunology, biology 101, that you're, you're anti-mask or anti-pandemic um, response, which I have lots of complicated feelings about, but it's not a political agenda saying that we have not accumulated population immunity. It's literally just saying we have not had, we've not been exposed, so we don't have the immunity to these viruses. And so now we're being exposed. And that is normal. It is normal to get sick. Kids get, you know, when you go to, when you get a vaccine or a virus, your immune system gets stronger, smarter, and more tailored. It's not that you want to get sick. Of course, no one wants to get COVID. No one wants to get RSV. It's just that when you do get it, you then build immunity for the next time you're exposed. That's just part of being a kid. Yes, these are good points you make. Um, are you a supporter of masks? Do you think they work? So masks are very, very controversial and they have become weaponized and politicized yes. so strangely. I mean, I understand why, particularly in the US, but here's the deal. If you wear a mask that is high grade, well-fitted, and you wear it consistently, it can work to protect you, the wearer. Okay. What masks we've not shown yet in a in any convincing way is that masks in the real world do that great of a job at protecting other people from the wearer. And that makes sense intuitively because like, look at people wearing masks. I just was at the grocery store last night and, you know, God love her, the checker, her mask is just hanging around her chin. It's also a poor mask. It's not high grade. It's not well fitted. So like at that point, the mask is wearing her for protection, honestly. So the point is, if you want to have an extra layer of protection, if that's important to you, you should feel free to wear a 
mask, I would wear a high grade, well-fitted mask and wear it consistently. If you wear a mask into, you know, into a restaurant and you take it off when you're at the table and you take it off when you walk to the restaurant and they put it back on, like that mask is not working. Yes. I was like, so yeah. it's not, it's not, it's just, it's not about I'm pro mask or anti-mask. It's, it's about managing the expectations of what a mask can and cannot do. What's much better for you than a mask to protect against COVID is getting vaccinated. Okay. And this is all, these are all very good points, Lucy. Now, my last question, I hope this isn't like a big one for you, but mental health and physical illness, what do you see as the connection? Oh, I mean, do you have all day? I mean, Mental and physical health are intrinsically connected, right? I mean, take, for example, has this ever happened to you, Nikki, where you are about to cross the street and you're not paying attention and you step off the curb and there's a car coming right at you and you, (gasps) right? Yeah. That's your adrenaline. That's your stress hormone. That's your body protecting you. I'm not saying in that moment you have ment- you're mentally ill. What I'm saying is that is your, that is your emotional health. That is your amygdala. That is your fight or flight hormone axis protecting you from getting hit by that car by putting muscle, by putting um, blood flow to your muscles so that you jump back and you get startled, right? And that's so you don't do that again. What happens when people, for example, are in a pandemic in a, in a state of constant fight or flight where they're constantly afraid, anxious, vigilant, that causes the, the floodgates of adrenaline to be open more than it should be. And that affects everything from blood pressure to our blood sugar, to our sleep cycles, to our behaviors. So it's not just COVID or the pandemic, it's anything you're exposed to. If you experience like, let's say, neglect or abuse as a child, you are going to have a reaction to that. You're going to you know, we all seek soothing, right? So if you don't have insight into what's happening to you and you experience neglect or abuse, your your body is evolutionarily wired to find a safe haven. And some people find safe havens in alcohol. Some people find safe havens with disordered eating, like numbing out uncomfortable feelings by not consuming enough calories or by binge eating. It's not conscious, but I'm saying that this organ up on top of the totem pole, if I can say that word out loud, is connected intrinsically to our body. So addressing mental health, addressing our grief, our anxiety, our moods, our relationship to food, our relationship to alcohol, how those those thoughts, feelings, and behaviors are born, and then connecting that to our cholesterol and our weight and how we feel every day, that is health. And that should not be something that is like, this is just, this is just basic. This is not outside the box. This is inside the box. But unfortunately, the modern medical system in the United States and in Canada has made it. So this is like, you know, this is like, this is when, when like, why is it woo woo? Like our brain is just another organ, like our pancreas and our liver, right? It's just, it's just another organ. It has chemical reactions and it has reactions to external stimuli. And we have to put our mind and ourselves into the equation of health because otherwise why are we here if you have perfect cholesterol levels and you're 90 and you haven't had a heart attack that's fantastic but if you are not aware of how anxiety and moods and relationships 
with food and alcohol and other people have affected your health and well-being and you don't know what your triggers are and you don't have tools to manage the curveballs that come your way, then does it matter that you're 90 and have had a heart attack? I don't know. What's what, what, what about quality of life? Absolutely. Um, I keep telling my husband that we're moving to a blue zone and he's like, Nikki, we have little kids. I'm like, I know they'll live a really good life. We're going to go to a blue zone. Okay. So how can people find you, Dr. Lucy? Cause now Thank everyone's going to want to find you. You're so cute. So you can go on my website, lucymcbride.com. You can also sign up for my newsletter. So I write a newsletter every single week and I have done since March, 2020. It used to be all about COVID. Now it's about these bigger themes. It's about like, I, I did a myth busting series about weight loss. Mm-hmm. You know, the myth that you like, you have to exercise more to lose weight. You have to cut out carbs to lose weight. You have to do X, Y, Z to lose weight. I did a myth busting series about that recently. Right now I'm writing about the holidays and how to get through the holidays from a, a standpoint of avoiding viruses or the, the bad parts of viruses to managing, you know, your mother-in-law. Like it's, it's, it's right. Like health is about not getting COVID or the severe outcomes. It's also about not getting spun up about people who, you know, trigger or push your buttons, right? That's health too. And Absolutely. so that's my, that's my current series. And um, you can find my newsletter on my website as well. And lucymcbride.com. And yeah, and I'm working on a book about this, the inseparability of mental and physical health. Yeah, it's going to come out in 2024. I sold it to Simon and Schuster and I'm super excited about it. Wicked. What a good idea for a book. Um, Thank you for joining me on Superstar PR. Listeners, you have to follow Lucy McBride. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Superstar PR. Please remember, if you like what you heard, share it with your friends. Don't forget to rate and review the show. This is a labor of love. We'll see you next week for our newest episode.